0: Pleasure to be here today. I'm pretty excited about this, and guess what? You get to hear my testimony today. Uh, that, that worked out pretty well, huh? <laughs> Even right now. Okay, um, so let's let's get started then. And um, this is me, Joel Willoughby. And uh, I have this ministry, Brains and Bibles. I'll, I'll explain that here, uh, for this, this service here. Um, so my wife, Beth, right behind Gabriel there. And then I have my two boys, Roger and Isaiah, uh, 11 and 9, then Valerie and Hannah over there, 2, 3, and 1. So um, they're all with me. Uh, they usually go with me wherever we go. In fact, we're going to head off to um, Salem, Oregon here in Oh boy, less than two weeks, we'll start that adventure and we'll be out west, uh, Washington, Oregon, Idaho for about six weeks. Uh, That'll be an exciting thing over there, Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that later. So that it's great to have them with me. I think it's a great layer of accountability. Uh, some people do what I do, and they end up having some moral failure because they're off by themselves too much, and it's just not good. Uh, also, I want it to be something that uh, the family loves to do with dad together, ministry, uh, not something that takes dad away. So those are important elements there. Um, so that's all of us, and uh, as we go through this here, Oh, there we go. Uh, so yeah, we traveled together. I see. Yeah, I should have waited and showed you that picture first before I said that um, thing. But that was uh, oh boy, about a year ago now. And uh, going, uh, we're somewhere in Michigan, I think, uh, somewhere in there, traveling along. You know, Beth says we got to take a picture. You know, H- Hannah's right behind me in the car seat, um, and of course, she made me look at the picture. About five seconds later, we're in a ditch. But no, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. No, that's, that's not true at all. Okay, so no, we, we survived that. Um, and, and so we had a good time there. Um, so why is it called Brains and Bibles? Why is it called Brains and Bibles? Uh, because those two things should never be disconnected. Uh, so I, what I try to do is I help people to understand the person and Word of God better, uh, to really mentally engage with the Word, and we're going to talk about that when we get into the preaching time as well. Uh, I support churches um, in the just understanding the person and Word of God, um, and that can go through you know that's, there's several different ways that can happen. Um, And, of course, I strengthen and equip churches to do the work of the ministry. So you think about Ephesians 4, um, and so it is the work of the ministry that the whole church does together. And I just come alongside, uh, not taking the place of, but helping support them uh, in different ways. And, of course, it depends on where the church is at and what they would actually need. So as I go through my testimony here, uh, it all started with uh, my dad. He was Coast Guard. He uh, retired as Command Master Chief, did 30 years. Uh, So we were at Mobile, Alabama at the time, and I was a young little guy, so you imagine like a four or five-year-old, so I was only about five and a half feet tall then, you know, and, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, But yeah, high-pitched southern accent and things, I I took on that. And we were in Mobile, and I was going to a church called Calvary Baptist Church, and uh, there was this uh, teacher, and her name was Mrs. Easter, pastor's wife, Mrs. Easter. How perfect is that, huh? Um, So the gospel was being taught, and she used a phrase there, uh, being washed by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and so um, I was convicted about this. I was, I was listening, and I was hearing it, and I, and I understood. I knew that I had sinned. I recognized that I had a need, Um, and so some would say, "Well, what can a little boy? uh, What, what could he have done, you know, uh, for sin?" Um, But I disobeyed my parents. Uh, I had lied. I had done sinful things. And we have to remember that, you know, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden, right? They ate some fruit. Uh, It wasn't just the simplicity of that. It was the complexity of they were wickedly rebellious and hateful against God. Um, that is sin. And so it, 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 even just uh, that little, little thing that a boy could do is enough to condemn someone to the lake of fire. So it's a big deal. And I understood that. I needed the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ. So there I was. That's um, a little bit old. That's my first grade yearbook picture. And so just to show you that everybody starts out cute. Everybody starts out cute. You know, then things happen. You know, my boys now, I remind them that you're kind of getting out of that phase, guys. And so, <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyways, that's another story. Um, and so anyways, I, uh, I yelled out, I want to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's my, my impersonation of myself then. And, and so I, I yell out, and of course I'm the kind of kid that always yells out, and so they want to take me aside, put me in a little room, you know, and explain things to me uh, and talk to me. But I did, I did understand. I understood that I was a sinner in the need of the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, it's the only currency to pay for that sin, what Jesus did on the cross there. So, uh, you know, as I go on with this testimony, I just want to remind you that we are always responsible for our own sin, that you can't blame it on something or somebody else. Whenever we sin, it's our fault that we are responsible for it. With that being said, though, um, I was not being discipled or anything as I grew up. There was nothing really there. It was just uh, kind of going to church and uh, really not much else going on there. Uh, moral family and whatnot, uh, but my my. Parents did divorce, and so that kind of added to things as well. Um, and so going through life and slow, a slow through the years fading uh, into seeing nothing really attractive with spiritual things, and I was being more and more attracted to the world. Um, and so I soon started chasing after uh, satisfaction in those other things. I was not walking with God, and so there was no satisfaction. So where am I going to find that? Well, I started looking at the world, which was definitely the wrong place to go. Uh, so there I was. This is me, uh, my grad party, uh, 18-year-old here, and just being a big goofball. And, um, and so they was. this is the life of the party kind of guy. You know, if uh, someone was having a party, I was invited. Uh, you think about, I don't want to glorify the sin, but um, I, I moved in with my mom for the last few years of high school. So I knew there was no rules. Now, I will say that she's in a good place right now. She's, she's walking with the Lord and things, so praise God for that. At the time, she was not... And um, and so I knew that I could just do whatever I wanted. There was no accountability, no nothing. And so imagine what a young guy, what he would desire, what he would love to do, all of the above, the whole checklist, uh, shamefully so. And so um, with, at this, I you know pretended, I pretended to, to to have it all together. But really, the truth was, I was empty. I was broken. Um, I had a, I had this uh, lack in um, anything to do with God. And so it just really ruined me. Totally ruined me. So finally, I got to a point where, uh, long story short, um, I, I had I had two major flaws that God used against me. Uh, one was I, I always wanted to look good and I wanted to have the right answer. Those are the two things. So someone challenged me about something, and so to, I fact checked myself. so I want to make sure I was right. So I, you know, went home, blew off the dust on my Bible that I had. I had to find it first, um, and I opened it up, and uh, the Lord really used that to grip my heart. So we have to remember Hebrews four twelve here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, it is alive. The Lord was working in my heart in a mighty way. So this is the passage I went to. I just wanted to see if that, that phrase, you know, your body is a temple to the Lord kind of thing, I, as I vaguely remembered, I, I wasn't really sure about it. So I looked it up, the old Strong's Concordance. So the King James is what I had then, so I just wanted to show you what I actually read. Does what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? And so that kind of really, the Lord just used it to grip my heart. I am not my own. Um, and I didn't understand at the time, but the, the point of it is, it used that word temple uh, that is naos, us, two different words in Greek for temple. And this one is specifically the holy of holies. Uh, this is where the very presence of God was. The idea is that when you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives. He lives inside of you. Uh, you have been bought with the currency that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are not your own. And that really affected me. Um, so then that night, I just kept reading it and the verses around it and the whole chapter over and over again, until I was just this blubbering fool, uh, crying snots everywhere, the you know the sounds and things, you know. And uh, it was wonderful though, I didn't go to sleep that night, just stayed up, um, just stayed in the word, praying, confessing, repenting. Uh, it was a wonderful time, just praising God and things. And so then, um, that was September of 2004, uh, so if you want to figure out my age and stuff, I just graduated high school, I was 18, September of 2004 is when uh, that all happened. I went to Pensacola Christian College, uh, majored in Bible, uh, a pastoral concentration. Um, I, I found First Timothy 3.1, says it's a good thing to desire the office of a bishop. And so, you know, be a pastor. And so I didn't really, ha- I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but I read that and I thought, okay, I'm done with all the bad stuff. I'm going to do all the good things. And so I pursued that without really having any uh, prodding by God necessarily. But I can see God's hand in it as uh, he was leading me into ministry uh, still, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. Minored in Greek there. And uh, it's kind of funny because I was actually lazy. I did uh, minoring in Greek because it was the, the shortest amount of classes for the major. That's why, that's why I picked it. But it turns out I love it. Uh, so then I met Danielle. Uh, Danielle, and uh, she was there, and you think, wait, there's, that's not the same woman he just introduced? Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. That's all right. Uh, don't worry. Um, and so that was us in college, and uh, I think, man, I look at just a little bit different now than then. Uh, <laughs> you know, traded, traded some hair for belly, you know, things like that. Uh, <laughs> not the best deal I've ever made, but... So then uh, we got married in 2009 there, Roger came along in 2011, we moved here to Ankeny, Iowa in 2012, and that was for me to go to faith, uh, to do some uh, seminary work there, and then Isaiah came along in 2013, and there we are, and uh, that, that picture, uh, of course I'm not sure exactly when that picture's from, but that, that's us, so. <laughs> uh, so then moving on, the timeline here. Um, I walked this Master of Arts in Biblical Studies in 2015. I was a Master of Divinity student, but I just got tired of taking classes. I was almost done. I just walked so I could uh, start teaching at Ankeny Christian Academy. Uh, that job just opened up. I put all my eggs in one basket and uh, I got it. So Lord blessed, even though I was probably not doing things that, you know, the wisest, but uh, he blessed there. And so seven years at Ankeny Christian Academy, teaching junior high and high school Bible classes. That was a lot of fun. That was really great. Um, I like what I'm doing a little better now, but that was a really good time in my life. Uh, Then went to Northland Camp. Uh, Who even knows about Northland Camp? Anybody know about Northland here? Okay. Okay. A few of you. All right. That's good. Um, so they kind of crashed and burned for a while, and then, and then they're they doing some revitalization. And so I was kind of in the sort of the beginnings of that with the camp ministry there. Uh, so I was assistant program director for the summer. Uh, that was pretty awesome. So that's a picture of all of us there. My head shaves. So I did it for a fundraiser for ACA, and I just kind of kept it for a while. I liked the feel of it. I didn't like the look of it. It was a struggle. Okay. So anyway, I'm about to be there again soon anyway, so whether I like it or not. <laughs> uh, so then uh, everything changed, though, after, after camp there. Um, what a lot of people don't know is my wife, Danielle, there, um, or my, my first wife, Danielle, there, she had this long QT syndrome. Uh, so it's a heart issue. There's an interval in the heart, and um, when you get scared or sick, that interval gets a little longer. Uh, some people with this syndrome here, they're born with that interval already a little longer in between the beats, and so um, when you get scared or sick or something like that, it gets even longer, and you can trigger an episode. And that could be a few things. For her, it was a seizure. So we never understood it. It would be like from a nightmare or an alarm clock suddenly, you know, and she just kind of abrupt, and she'd go into a seizure. Uh, so it'd be about every couple of years, there was nothing to track. We went to all sorts of specialists and stuff. No one could figure anything out. They know a lot more about it now than they did then. So anyways, um, that happened right after we got back, and so uh, it was on a Tuesday night, and she, uh, she had this episode called the, um, you know, 911, they one. They're there, her heart stopped for 45 minutes, um, and that, they, they, kept re, they restarted the heart a few times, uh, but there was catastrophic brain damage, the whole brain, brain swelling, uh, things like that, um, and so that was on a Tuesday night, that Friday, her 29th birthday, August 11th, um, that's when the Lord healed her, we prayed for healing, Right? and he did. He took her home to heaven for the ultimate healing. Uh, so even when we pray for healing now and someone is healed for something, um, it is always temporary. There's always something else to happen. There's death to happen, right? Um, so we prayed for healing, and God did it, even on our birthday. What a great present that was. Uh, you know, and God's good. He's always good. And uh, he used this uh, to open up doors of ministry in my life. Um, I was single parenting all of a sudden with these two boys. Uh, uh, Isaiah just turned four about three weeks prior. Uh, Roger was about to be six in a couple months. And so that's a difficult time. Uh, that was a difficult time, but the Lord really strengthened me through it all. Uh, he had church family come around and helped out. And that was pretty awesome. Um, now, there's only 15 months of singleness. That seems like a short time, uh, but it was like an eternity to me. Um, and then we had uh, Beth here. So Beth comes along. Lord knows I'm super weak, <laughs> and I needed, I needed uh, marriage. I needed uh, Beth in my life. And so that was uh, April 1st. It was Easter Sunday, April 1st, 2018, when we were officially uh, dating for the first day. And uh, so we come to church on April Fool's, saying we're together. So, you know, (laughs) they didn't really believe that too well. Um, But, yes, we we actually were together then. And then in July, uh, I take her to this place, this uh, this quarry. It's an old abandoned quarry that they really, you know, made beautiful. They put trails in and stuff over in Ohio. And I I knew it there because it's um, around where I lived before. And so I took her over there, and uh, I proposed. And, of course, I proposed right next to a cliff because if she said no, one of us was going over. So, that, no, that's not, that's only partially true. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, that was, that was wonderful. She said yes, and uh, then move on. Later that year, still 2018, then we have November 23rd, we get married. Um, and and I, I was on a teacher's schedule. I wanted to get married, and so we used the Thanksgiving break. So we, we got married on Black Friday. And if you know anything about Beth, she's a big couponer. She loves deals. And so, of course, we get married on Black Friday, because then she got a three-for-one deal, you know, me and the two boys here. So, uh, it's pretty clever for her. Um, so God provided in many ways there. Pretty cool. Um, so then Valerie comes along, and that's in 2019. Uh, she was born just under five pounds, this little teensy thing. And there's Hannah, uh, a little bigger. And uh, she was born in 2021, to the end there. And then we have them all together. There's like a little, um, I think it was like an Awana day, or, you know, just as a cowboy. This is, you know, sad group of pilgrims here. Um, and so they're, they're having a lot of fun, though. So the, the, the family has been restored. It was really cool uh, what God has done there. And of course, he's used Beth mightily in my life to help me out. And so then um, thinking about a summer job in 2019, Beth was kind of pushing for me to do something besides just some random landscaping things, you know, under the table for friends, you know. And so I said, okay, you know, I submitted to her wisdom and I thought, how can I use my skill set? You know, I've done a lot of manual labor jobs in my life for years and years. And I thought, um, you know, I've put a lot of time and money into uh, studying and teaching the Bible. Why don't I do something with that? And so I was looking around to see what the need was. And so we started developing Brains and Bibles and started, you know, for a year working through all that. Then the COVID lockdown happened. And that was actually a wonderful thing in my life at that time because um, it allowed me all the time I needed to get this thing off the ground. Uh, As a teacher, my my duties became very minimal. And it was so minimal that I didn't even talk about it because I didn't want them to put something else on me. So (laughs) I just pretended like I was stressed like everybody else. And uh, (laughs) I was just working on Brains and Bibles the whole time. Uh, So it launches March 2020. It's when it but nowhere to go. Uh, The COVID lockdown, right? Then no one wants to talk to me or see me or anything like that. And so I started this uh, YouTube channel. And so that's all I had at the time. So this, this is the humble beginnings uh, down in the corner of my basement. And so the camera was just right, so I didn't see spider webs or, or rafters or, you know, any, any other little dark thing. It's, you know, just right, so you just see the books behind me. <laughs> so if you go to my YouTube channel and you see the beginnings, the first episodes, uh, you will see that background and things. And I, I go through a few different phases trying to figure out what to do here. I'm no YouTuber, by the way, but um, I do have a podcast and things. Things are a little better now. All that information is on the uh, brochure over here. So make sure you grab it, see if I can help you out with something sometime. So then the YouTube channel launches, of course. Traction begins not not until January 21. That's when people start to actually have time to have a conversation with me and uh, to see how I can help them out. I also started the doctor ministry program over at Faith in January 21. Um, thinking that there's really not much going on here, so I might as well do this, and it could help me with brains and Bibles and, and, uh, and things like that. Um, so then I officially decided to go full-time in February because I had to sign a teacher contract, right? So I had to either sign it or turn it down in February, but uh, I, I stopped getting paid in August. So I had that, you talk about planning ahead, you know, uh, so there's lots of prayer that went on with that uh, to be sure this is what the Lord really wanted me to do. Uh, so then June 2022 was full-time, so a year now. Uh, pretty much exactly a year now, which is really cool. I have a board of directors. Uh, they help to strengthen me, to help me make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, they, they cover weaknesses that I have, because we're not all perfect at everything, right? <laughs> um, I, I'd like to just be perfect at one thing, but uh, but no, we have lots of weaknesses, and so they help me out. Um, and then so we now go to churches all the way to Ohio to Washington State, uh, the, the big swath there down in Illinois and things, and um, I have this podcast, Brain Bi- Brains, Bibles, and Beyond. In fact, I got to go recently onto Gabriel's podcast, The Apathy Project. So if you guys don't know about that, you should check it out. Uh, we did a little thing on music, and so, kind of cool. Uh, So then I speak at camps. Uh, I've seen uh, over a dozen souls saved in the last year through that ministry. I love doing that because a lot of what I do is I'm investing in believers to teach them how to go share the gospel and make disciples and study the Bible and things like that. So camp is a wonderful outlet for me uh, to be able to actually um, get sort of uh, a faster fruit, (laughs) a faster harvest, you know. Um, And so I I love doing that whenever I can. So I do live off of donations, and I've seen the Lord provide in amazing ways. It's unbelievable. Never has set price for anything. Uh, if you, this church decided to use me for something, I do not charge a set price. Um, I just let the Lord lead, and it's worked out so far. Uh, and I do trust the Lord will do things like that. Some topics I teach on, sharing the gospel, making disciples, the triune God. You know, how do you discuss that? How do you talk about that with people, right? Uh, reaching the LGBTQ plus community, uh, worldviews. I'm going to do a worldviews talk today for Sunday school, by the way. Um, so to give you kind of an idea. So social media, prophecy stuff, yeah, there's all sorts of different things there. Um, and so, uh, and even more than that, but it's just an idea. Uh, do a lot of different things. Here's the big problem. Two to eight percent with the statistics that I've worked with, uh, did, did some a lot of math and things for this. Two to eight percent of those living in America are born again. That's it. Two to eight percent. That's it. Now that's still in the tens of millions, you understand. That's still in the tens of millions. But that's it. Two to eight percent. Um, there's, the churches are shriveling up. They're dying. Um, and this is my big passion, to go out there and help them. Uh, there's a lot of churches that are hurting. And so there's, there's other philosophies that say, hey, forget the churches that are hurting. Just plant more churches. Uh, I, I would disagree with that philosophy. I do think church planting is important, but I would say that, no, we need to revitalize, and we need to strengthen churches that are already here as well. That's a very important ministry. So that's a lot of what I do. Um, So then... Uh, there's a scarcity of intentional one-to-one discipleship. This is where I place the main problem at here, Uh, because we have, you know, why isn't the church growing? Uh, There's a lack of evangelism uh, to add to the numbers. Now, of course, it's, you know, God's job to add, right? But it, you know, the more you do it, the more results you see over time, uh, over, over decades of time. And why is that not happening? I think there's a lack of discipleship among the church body, the believers that are there. And so I go through talks like this and um, explain how to do this and make it practical and meet people where they're at. Uh, I love doing that. So please partner with me primarily, and I really do mean that, as a prayer warrior because God is the great distributor of all wealth. Uh, he owns everything. Uh, so he can, he can move things around as he sees fit. I need prayer warriors. That's what I primarily need. And, of course, if God prompts you to give, then do it. Don't, don't give any more or less than what God prompts you to give. Um, just do what he, he leads you to do. Um, so this allowed me to strengthen and equip these churches uh, everywhere I go. Okay, so now let's get to the Bible. Open up to Mark 12, and I'll kind of share with you the heartbeat of brains and Bibles here, which is, um, I believe, also the, <laughs> the Lord's heartbeat. Um, and so let's go to Mark 12. We're going to start in verse 28, but just to give you some context here. What's going on? One by one, you have these different groups, once again, that are trying to show that Christ is not who he says he is. He is not so wise. He is not God. Uh, things like that. So they try to defeat him in his wisdom. So, the, they, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and now a scribe. As you read through Mark 12, that's the order uh, that they come in. And so, finally, the scribe walks up, and they all challenge Christ's wisdom, though, and they fail miserably. They fail miserably, which is kind of fun to, to read and to imagine that sort of a thing. Uh, it's pretty fun. So starting with verse 28 here, uh, if you want to read along with me. I do like when you have your Bibles open, but I do have it on the screen. Uh, with the Bible open, you can kind of just see it maybe in your own translation you're more familiar with, or even just to see the quick context of it. But in verse 28 it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And so now it's so obvious to us. We've heard this so many times. You, of course, love God more than anything else, right? That's obviously what it is. Uh, But that was not necessarily a common answer back then. In fact, with the way uh, first century Israel was, they were very uh, spiritually deprived. They they were not doing well. Uh, The majority of them were not in a good place. And so uh, very biblically illiterate and things. And so that was not a common answer. This would have been a tough question especially with 613 laws of the Mosaic Covenant, uh, what would be the most important one? And how would you go about, you know, defending that and stuff? It's actually kind of a significant thing. So then we go to verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so this is what's called the Shema. And uh, so it was actually a little bit longer than that. It was always Deuteronomy 6-4. Then they kind of added verses, you know, through verse 9. And then nowadays, modernly, they usually have like three different sections. Uh, a couple in Deuteronomy and one in Numbers. And that's a whole other thing. Uh, but this is the idea. that Deuteronomy 6-4 was known as the Shema. The Shema, that's a Hebrew word. And it means, hey, he, hear, listen, you know, things like that. Uh, and so that hear, oh, Israel, right, that Shema there. Okay, so uh, every little Hebrew boy and girl would have this memorized very, uh, early on, so they all knew it very well. And he says, you, you, um, the Lord is one. Okay, you go on to verse 30, and he continues on, though, as you read even the context of Deuteronomy 6, you read even more, you see that this is the next words in Deuteronomy 6 here. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. Now, if you read Deuteronomy 6, though, you'll say, wait, I don't see mind there. I don't see that. That's not there. Well, if you read the whole chapter, what you'll see is the whole thing is about the mind. It's all about training and teaching and knowing God, right? That, that sort of a thing. So he actually just extracted that from the text. He had a good understanding of Deuteronomy, and so that's how he was able to say that. That's an accurate, truthful statement. That was the greatest commandment. So then Deuteronomy 6, five includes the heart, soul, and mind, uh, but then Jesus extracted mind from a, a proper understanding of the whole passage. I got a little ahead of myself there. (laughs) Uh, Without the mind, something very important note here. Without the mind, there's no loving with the heart, soul, or might. I want you to think about that. How do you love someone that you do not know? You must know them to love them. Um, And so what's kind of funny is sometimes I'd have uh, kids when I taught junior high and high school, and I would always make a habit of telling them, I love you. And, of course, when they're new to that, it was awkward for them when they're new to that. And they, they say, uh, okay, that, you know, that doesn't seem right. And after a while, though, they got to appreciate it, and they understood it was true, that I really did love them. And so well, sometimes I'd have a, a kid, you know, kind of push back on that. And I remember this one in particular, and he says, uh, he's like, what, you, you, you don't love me? And I said, why, why do you say that? You know, why, why do you say that I don't love you? And he says, because you don't know me. And I said, now, wait a minute. I said, you think that me knowing you will help me love you? <laughs> I laughed at him. And uh, the whole other class laughed. Um, yeah, so the, the idea is, I said, here's the, here's the difference. I choose to love you. That's even better. That's even better. If my love was based on just knowing more about you as a human being, a faulty human being, right, um, eventually I'd get to a point where i go, oh, I don't even like this person. <laughs> they're, they're, they're such a sinner uh, like me, right? Um, so it's that choice of loving um, and that's what we need to do. When we love God, we are choosing to love him. Uh, it's a very important idea. So the mind is the engine of the train. It leads everything else, the emotions, the feelings, every, everything comes it behind. The mind is, is the leader of the train there. Um, these four aspects love, Lord, God, right, with your heart, soul, mind, strength, all those sort of things, they're all very much inseparable. They're interconnected, they, 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 they go together. You try to imagine only loving with one of those things and not the other three. That's actually impossible to do. You can't do that. So they all go together. I don't want to minimize anything, but I am going to emphasize the mind. Uh, to, to know God more is to love him more. And when I say that, that's an accurate statement because I mean to really actually know him. <laughs> Not just to know some little random data points. I mean to actually know him in relationship. That, that is to love him more. Uh, and it's an exciting pursuit to have. What a privilege. So knowing God truly allows us to better do these few things, which are so important, to glorify him, to worship him, to disciple others. You know him. You know what are you doing when you're discipling, right? You're making them observe all that Christ has commanded. In other words, to live it out. So you have to know him to know how they, you should actually be discipling someone to teach them how to live. But how do you do all that, right? That's, that's the big point here. So consider what Christ meant by love. This is super important. When we say love God, if you don't understand the biblical idea of love, then you're going to be, you're gonna be uh, mistaken a bit. So let's explore that idea a little bit. It's not Disney's love, right, what, what's portrayed there. It's not how, I really love ice cream. I'm telling you, I love ice cream. Um, but my love I have for God um, must be, much greater. It must be a different kind of love than, than the love for ice cream. And I want to explain that to you a little bit here. Um, so this, it's the biblical standard. So let's go through this idea a little bit. Um, I'm going to use, see, I'll use Gabriel here. Now, Gabriel, do you like fish? Good. You don't have to lie for this. That's awesome. All right. So um, if you didn't, you know, you're kind of protected in this little, you know, sanctification bubble right now. But um, so we're at a, we're at a restaurant. We're, we're pretending, we're pretending that I have no clue about anything in this area. Okay. I'm new to the area. And I go to this restaurant, I see Gabriel, though, and I see him sitting down, and I think to myself, oh, wow, good, a familiar face. And so I, I walk over there, and I say, hey, uh, you know, I've never been here before or anything, what, what should I get? Uh, he goes, oh, man, you've got to get the fish dinner. You've got to get the fish dinner. And I go, wow, really, why is that? He goes, oh, it's so good, I love fish. Then of course, me being a great theologian, right? And uh, uh, anyways, I'm, I'm, uh, being theological here, I pound the table. The silver flies up, and I say, "You don't love fish." Gabriel says, "Calm, calm down, buddy. <laughs> calm down." And you know, everything is quiet. And, uh, and I said, "Look, if you don't love fish, I say you, you don't. You don't love fish because if you did love fish, and this is the big punchline here, you wouldn't have it yanked out of the water and fried in oil. Can you think about that?" Now, can you imagine, if, you know, I, I love Mittens the cat in my house, so I'm going to go fry it in oil, eat it up, okay, right, that's not, okay, um, I, I love my children, let's not go there. Okay, so <laughs> the idea is we use love in this sense, I call it fish love, we use it in this sense a lot. What is Gabriel saying in this illustration when he says, I love fish? He's saying, I love the way it makes me feel, right? I love what it does for me, okay? It's not that he has any investment in it. It's because of what it does for him. It makes him feel good, right? So there you have your fish dinner, loving fish, okay? <laughs> All right, that's the best picture I had. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, what was love, right? The person loves themselves, how it makes them feel. That's what's really loved is yourself in that sort of a situation. We want to move away from that. That's the kind of Disney love, right? We want to move away from that. I love ice cream because, oh, man, the taste, the way it fills my belly, mm, right? Mainly the taste. (laughs) <laughs> and so uh, as we move on here, it's, it's a lot like romantic relationships. Now I like to pick on the junior high, high schoolers, you know, you teach these kids and they'd have their, you know, their, their relationships and they're just so certain, you know, this is man, this is it, this is it for life. Uh, and then two weeks later, uh, it's somebody else. You know, so, uh, you know, what's up with that? Unfortunately, uh, this actually carries on to adulthood. You see this in adulthood a lot of times, which is really sad. Uh, This is how a lot of relationships are. The idea is, I like the way you make me feel. I like the way you make me look. Um, I I, I like what you're doing for me, Uh, even as a social status, maybe, something like that. It's not actually a one-way street, sacrificial choice to love that person, right? Putting their selves ahead of your own. Um, That's not what's going on. So we want to move that around. So let's go to Colossians 3. Let's go to Colossians 3 here. So now that we understand the biblical standard of love, what God means when he says love God, okay, it is, it's sacrificial. You're not thinking of yourself. You're putting that other person first. You're putting God above your own priorities, above your own desires. Uh, and as you pursue a relationship with him, uh, your priorities become his priorities, Uh, your desires become his desires, as you become more and more like him. And of course, we still are sinners, we still make mistakes, but that's the general rule. So Colossians 3, is just kind of cut off to this certain part here in verse 1, um, but I'll I'll go ahead and start with uh, what's actually verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, okay? And the way that's worded is the idea is, if you have, and of course you have. That's, that's the idea. Uh, of course, you have. And if you didn't pick that up because uh, you, you didn't understand that idea of if there, then it's made clear by the time you get to uh, verse four. Okay? So it's very, very clearly that this is you're definitely a saved people that he's talking to. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. So two commands there seek and set, right? To set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And it says, "For you have died, and your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." So here's the big idea, though: when we are loving God with our minds, what does that look like? What does that look like? Okay. Um, so here we have these two commands: to seek and to set. We are seeking Him. That's our priorities. Our priorities are aligned to be godly, heavenly type priorities, eternal priorities. We are setting our minds on him. That's like when you're mixing concrete and it's wet. And then finally, it sets. Uh, Christ's face was set on the cross. The idea is that nothing can move it. It's not going to budge. Uh, this is the determination. So not just priorities, but I am determined. I am doing it. I have the blinders on. I am only following God, right? You're seeking him. You have set your mind on him. And it specifically says where Christ is at the right hand of the Father, right? That That's the idea. So if he's sitting there, that means his job is done. He has all power and authority. He has died. He was buried. He rose again. The whole package of understanding is there. Of who he is. So we die to ourselves, we live for God. That's a choice that we're making. That's a choice to submit. It's an eternal focus. That's what's going on here in Colossians 3. Then also we have 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's run over there real quick. 2 Timothy 2.15. This is ESV. Some translations look a bit different. Uh, if you wanted to talk about how it's actually not so different after all, we can talk about that later. Um, but it, it may look pretty different. The idea here says, do your best, present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So some things stick out to me. One big idea to me is it says, as one approved. Okay? So, so one day we are going to present our lives as believers. We are going to present our lives to Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, so we want to be approved, right? We want to live in a way that he says, yes, you did a great job, right? Uh, that, that's a goal of ours. But then also notice as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. So if there's no need to be ashamed, you have to do something to do that, right? That means you could be ashamed. It's, there's a possibility of coming before Christ and you have done things he does not approve of. There's a possibility that when you come before Christ that you will be ashamed of yourself, now, very clearly, Romans 8.1 said there's no more condemnation to those who believe, right? Uh, Christ has forgiven sin completely. He says he will remember it no more. Now, God does not have amnesia. He is omniscient, right? But the idea of forget means to move it to the back of the head. And the idea of remember means to bring it up to the front. In other words, like to mention it, okay? So the idea is God will not. He's, he is omniscient, but he will not bring it up. He promises this in front of any angel, in front of any other person, and not even you. The, the condemnation has been removed, the guilt has been removed, um, but shame is a feeling. Guilt is a reality, shame is a feeling. And so the idea is that uh, Christ will wipe away all tears, okay? But he's not going to mention sin, so why is there tears? They're not tears of joy because he wipes them away. If there are tears of joy, he wouldn't wipe them away. Why is he wiping them away? I think what happens is, is there's people that come up to the judgment seat of Christ. I think I'm going to be one of them. And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to see his scars, I'm going to see his smile. He's just so happy to have his son home. And I'm going to know what I've done. I'm going to remember my life. And I'm just going to fall apart. And I'm going to be in tears. And Christ is trying to hand me reward and say, hey, you did a good job here and there. He's not going to mention the bad stuff. Um, but I will be overcome with shame. Uh, I will know how I've lived my life. And so we want to reduce that sort of an idea. We want to please him as much as we can. So how are we going to do this? It says do your best, right? Try your hardest. Okay, you can say do your best, but if you don't have any direction with that, do, do my best with what? what? What am I doing, right? Um, so it says to present yourself to God is one approved, a worker. Okay, so it's a little more direction here. I'm going to do my best at working. That means there's going to be some blood, sweat, and tears here, some real work. But, okay, when I clock in, what am I doing, right? And then with the Christian lifestyle, by the way, there is no clocking out. <laughs> uh, but the idea is you need to do your best at being a worker, but what is the work? And then it says down here at the la- very last part, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the work. Now there are other passages in scripture that add to these ideas, but here's a big one. And this is our focus for today. Loving God with all of our minds, right? It not not only is it a, a choice to submit to eternal focus, but here it is actually a big part of rightly handling the word of truth. So what does that look like, right? Loving God, handling his word correctly. This is in our study and our understanding of it. You need to, you need to put some Real effort and energy into actually trying to understand the Bible and understand it better. Knowing that maybe, maybe you have a, a, an understanding you think is correct, even, but it might not be. So you want to keep studying. And um, I know even like Gabriel here has, has worked at uh, teaching how to do Bible study and things. That's really good. And so, you, so you're studying, your understanding of it, you're rightly handling it, okay? And then also your presentation, your delivery of it. And so you are representing Christ Himself. Uh, so I don't mean like what I'm doing right now necessarily, that's some people. Most people, it is just a simple like a one-on-one talk or a very small group. And so when you present scripture, which should be in your regular conversation, uh, when you present scripture, are you handling it correctly? Uh, are you having the right attitude about it, the right tone? Are you being loving with it? Are you being truthful with it? The whole truth, not just making someone feel good, right? There's lots of ideas here. So your, your presentation and delivery of it, and also in living it out, that's a big one. Actually living it out. Not just to have head knowledge to understand ideas and then just throw it away and, and not actually live it out. Uh, I would say you really don't understand if that's the case. <laughs> if you really do understand, you will live it out, um, in particular as a believer. Okay? So then we have Second Peter 1. This is the next one. Second Peter 1, three. Let's go over there. So Second Peter, uh, awesome book here. First and second Peter were written in the 60s, and I don't mean the last one, I mean the first century, because the last one was pretty crazy, but the first century 60s here, uh, Peter was in Rome, he's in prison, and um, he is getting ready to be martyred, to die. Uh, This is just a few years before he actually is murdered um, for preaching the gospel and such by Rome, and so he is writing from prison, uh, first and second Peter, shortly right after each other. Second Peter, his last words that are inspired scripture... Um, and he is, he is making a big point to, to share with believers that I know it's a crazy time, there's lots of persecution, but focus on the fact that Christ is coming. He's still in charge. He is the king. He is coming. Chapter three is that confidence of the second coming. The first two chapters are kind of the intro to get there. In the first chapter in particular, he is very much focusing on how we can know, how we can know, how we can know. And it really it's through, um, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. How we can know and be sure. So then let me get to it. Okay, so then we come to uh, verse 3. And he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let's just pause there real quick. Because that's a, that's a major statement. That's a major statement. All things with life and godliness. In other words, there really is no gray area. We can actually know if something is a godly choice or a sinful choice. Wow for all of life, for all humanity, for all of time, that's an amazing claim. <laughs> that's an amazing claim. What is godly? How do I live my life? It's all its all already been granted to us. You see that? It's in the past tense there. Granted to us already. And that was written in the first century. So even then, in the 60s, that's even before, there was still um, you know, at least a, a couple other books to be written, uh, to be added to Scripture, But even then, already, they had everything that pertained to life and godliness. That's an amazing idea. So how do I access that? That's the important, crucial piece of information here then. If it's already been given, how do I access it? It says, through the knowledge of him. The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The knowledge of him. Now, there was a day when Jesus Christ walked among humanity. He was flesh and blood with us, suffering as a human being. But that is no longer. He has died and he has risen. So now, how does God reveal himself? How do we access knowledge of him? It is the written word of God. That's how he has chosen to reveal himself today, the, and, and through most of human history. It's the written word of God. And so we have to be digging into it. If you love God, if you choose to love God, you will pursue to know him better. And you will want to please him. You will want to live your life uh, in a godly way, right? And so how do you know if you're doing that or not? It is through an understanding of the Word of God, which means you have to read it, and that's how you're aware of it, right? And then you study it to understand it, and you'll memorize and meditate on it to further understand it, and you'll meet corporately with other believers uh, or even just in smaller groups and and study together and pursue it together and have conversations sharpening each other uh, so you can understand it better because when you know him, you love him. And when you know him, there's really no greater satisfaction than there can be doesn't matter what kind of trials, suffering, persecution that may come. When you know him and you're walking with him, it's manageable. It's still bad, right? But it's manageable. And you can still have that fruit of the Spirit, which includes things like joy and peace and patience. Uh, what, what a wonderful thing that is. Then we come to 2 Timothy 3. Let's go there. Another famous part of the Bible here. Um, I like going to these common, more common verses. They are common for a reason. (laughs) Um, Believers have found great wisdom and truths in these things, so we keep coming back to them. Now, we still want to explore the entirety of Scripture. Uh, It's been inspired for a reason, right? Uh, God doesn't waste time. But there are certain passages that I think we just really connect with. Uh, in a greater way. And here's one of those things here in 2 Timothy 3. Now, of course, this is getting towards the end of even Paul's last inspired words. Uh, this was even after writing Titus. And so, 2 Timothy and near the end of the book, and he's really vesting in Timothy. You talk about good discipleship models. <laughs> That's Paul and Timothy. Uh, excellent. We can learn probably the most from that combo. So he says, all scripture, now all scripture wasn't even written yet, but the idea still remains, all scripture. If it's scripture, it applies. All scripture is breathed out by God, that's where we get our word inspiration from, uh, and is profitable. So even salvation is mentioned in verse 15, we're not even going there. But he says, you know, from the Old Testament, essentially, uh, Timothy uh, trusted in the Messiah and was saved. Uh, Do you know how to lead someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord with just the Old Testament? Uh, that's how it was done for thousands of years. It's <laughs> uh, kind of an interesting idea. But it's profitable for what? For the salvation, right? But then it names these other four things. For teaching, for proof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So to make it a little easier, and it's on the screen, it's what's right, what's not right, and how to get right, and how to stay right. You know, to put it simply, um, that's kind of the idea. You have all this amazing information that is in Scripture, but you gotta dig for it. <laughs> you gotta dig for it. Uh you gotta submit yourself under the preaching and teaching of the word. All right, so then we continue on here. Verse 17, it gives us a purpose. That it shows purpose. That the man of God may be complete. Here's the here's a big golden idea. If you do not have a regular habit, a regular lifestyle in the Word of God, you are not complete. There there, there is lacking. There's things missing. Don't expect to have a lot of satisfaction in this life, not the real godly kind that lasts, if you don't have a habit, a lifestyle in the Word of God. You have to. That's what actually makes us complete. And then here's another important piece of it. Equipped for every good work. It's what the Word of God does. Scripture is what it does. There are lots of churches that will try to do uh, lots of good works, and that becomes their focus, and they've left behind a lot of things like good preaching of the word and stuff. They just want to do good things. Now, of course, we do good things, right? But we we have to get things in the right priority, get things in the right order, okay? The idea is that you could do something that you think is good, it sure seems good, but you're not properly equipped to do it, uh, which is a very interesting idea. I even think about times like, you know, the Paul the Apostle, and he was going to go preach the gospel in one region, and then you have the the famous, what we call the Macedonian call. There's that figure at night and says, hey, come over here, Macedonia. And so what's wrong with preaching the gospel to a people group? (laughs) Literally nothing, right? But the idea was it wasn't the right person or the right time or, or, or there was something missing that we didn't know, and God says, no, I want you guys to go over here. Okay, maybe someone else. That would, that would have a better success was going to go God was leading them. We don't know a lot, but we do know that God moved them. Uh, even Jude, in the beginning of his, uh, his letter, and he says, I, was, I sat down to write to you about our common salvation. Uh, but then things changed. Now, now wouldn't that have been good for Jude to write about salvation? Of course, that seems good to us. But the Lord knew, the Holy Spirit redirected him and says, No, for this time, this place, that sort of a thing, it, we're going to talk about contending for the faith. And that's in Jude 1-3 there. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's other situations like this. So don't just rely on your own wit to try to figure out what is good. Uh, let's be equipped with the Word of God. Um, that has everything about life and godliness. It tells us what's right, what's, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. All these things are in the Word of God, but we've got to dig in. We've got to dig into it. So here's my big four points that we've gone through here. First off, we learned how to love God by His standard of love. It's His way. We can't just do this our own way. We don't want some kind of whimsical love uh, that's just based off feelings and, well, what's, what's God doing for me today, right? That's not good. Um, loving God by focusing on eternity, not just this earth that's going to be passing away, right? This is about eternity, things that do not pass away, no rusting, no corrupting, nothing like that. Uh, that's what we really want to invest in. Loving God by correctly handling the Word, so important. Our studying it, our sharing it, our living it out, right? And then loving God uh, by learning, learning more through the Word, learning more and more about Him. Because remember, to know Him, to actually know Him in relationship, is to love Him more. And there is no greater joy than that. So, uh, to wrap it all up here, the greatest command, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the mind's the engine, right? The mind is the engine of the train. It leads everything else. So we need to have that mental focus. We need to be heavenly minded. Some people say that you can be uh, so heavenly minded you are of no earthly good. I I don't like that statement at all. (laughs) Because if you're truly heavenly minded, you're the most earthly good. Can you imagine that you focus on Christ too much? You're thinking about uh, what, what, you know, eternal reward too much. You're thinking about souls being saved too much. You know, I don't think it's going to ruin you. <laughs> I think it's going to help you out. If you're the most heavenly minded, then you'll be the most earthly good. So help me. Help me with this uh, to rekindle this God, uh, you know, God's desire in us uh, to pursue him, to pursue his word. Uh, like I said, I'm looking for prayer warriors, but I hope right now let's just focus on ourselves. Where do we need to be? Uh, This is always a challenge to me, even when I present this. It's a reminder to me, uh, how much time am I spending? How diligent am I being? Uh, How am I helping others to do this? That's an important idea. So I hope that challenges you. I hope it gets you excited uh, to get home and crack that Bible open and see what's there. Because I'm telling you, there's amazing treasures there. So make sure you're praying for us, all of us. We need your prayers. And uh, we really, really appreciate the time here with you guys. Let me pray. And then... uh, I think it's Sean that comes up, or whoever can come up and uh, uh, carry on from there. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to meet together, to focus on you, to focus on your word. Uh, We thank you so much for all the many privileges and blessings that you have given to us. Uh, We were not worthy. We were unlovable. We were ungodly. Uh, But at the right time, you, you died for us, even at our weakest moments. And you have not just died for us, but uh, you have risen so that we can follow that pattern. And you have adopted us into your family. You've made us a part of your kingdom. You've given us mission, uh, meaning, purpose. And then you come alongside of us and actually work with us to help us to do it. And at the end of our lives, you even reward us for doing what you helped us to do. We thank you, Lord, for doing all the heavy lifting, for doing all the things that we are unable to do. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.